Welcome to No Clip, the podcast that's like a book club for people who don't think that books reward them enough for being good at them. I'm Chad Rothermans. And I'm Andy Kinnick. And today, we're going to be talking about Jack and Daxter. But first, uh, if you give us a like or a rating, it would be greatly appreciated. Uh, Jack and Daxter uh, is a game that was developed by Naughty Dog, published by Sony Interactive, and was released in 2001 on the PlayStation 2. Uh, Jack and Daxter is among the early two, very, extremely early 2000s breed of mascot 3D platformers that sort of it took the world by storm, we'll say. <laughs> yeah, it... it- kind of led the charge it's older than both uh its contemporaries in Sl- sly cooper and ratchet and clank mm-hmm. and i apologize in advance because i know i'm gonna accidentally say ratchet and clank instead of Dak and daxter <laughs> uh at least once mm. so um but yeah it's kind of like this second generation of 3d platformers that's built off the back of mario 64 and banjo kazooie and the like uh crash and spyro and all that yeah um yeah so it's when we talked about this on the psychonauts episode but like i feel like the general opinion of people is that a lot of mascot platformers are really samey mm-hmm. and they're just about collecting stuff and they got stale and the industry kind of moved on from them but i think these games especially these ps2 ones that I mentioned really started to push out in different directions. And I feel like there is even now a whole lot more room for the genre to grow and for people to do different stuff with it. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to see that ever happen. Yeah. I think I disagree with you. And I also agree with you uh, on two different points. Uh I think that the PS2 era mascot platformers, while they were all good games in their own way, uh, and each of them had their own unique sort of, like, gimmicks, where Sly's was obviously, like, stealth and, like, your acrobatic tricks and stuff. Mm-hmm. And Ratchet and Clank's was just having lots of guns. Yeah, different weapons. Yeah. The, the, I think that they did sort of end up, they occupy such a similar space mm-hmm. that I can see how the public generally would have gotten bored with them, especially since all of them had three sequels yeah. on the same platform. I, I think it's the sequels that did it because mm-hmm. they got that like those each individual franchise got stale yeah. in its own little niche. But on the flip side, I fully agree that I think there is a ton of room in the genre to experiment and to do new things like we did talk about Psychonauts, and we did mention this kind of thing on that episode, and I think Psychonauts is a golden example of of taking this formula and doing something, not even a formula, really, just like the genre, uh, and doing something actually unique with it. Um, but we're talking about the first one mm-hmm. uh, in Jack and Daxter, uh, the first copy of Super Mario 64. <laughs> uh-huh uh and notably it doesn't really have all that much of a gimmick uh as far as these games go yeah yeah that's kind of why i brought it up this one feels like very pure (laughs) if you want to use that word like it feels like a perfect combination of like crash bandicoot and banjo kazooie to me um because like it's uh it's more like straightforward and streamlined in a banjo kazooie kind of way 
where you kind of just uh, explore around and happen upon uh, your objectives really naturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you, like, because Mario is sort of the progenitor of all of this sort of game, uh, if you compare Naughty Dog's efforts specifically in the genre, it's like Crash Bandicoot feels more like a level-based linear platformer yeah, i think they call them corridor platformers <laughs> okay i feel like that is even more specific to crash yeah like that and the original sly cooper mm-hmm. are like that yeah and sly even has more open areas than the first crash did but uh yeah it, it's like they're they're level based they go from like point a to point b and there isn't a whole lot of exploration to be done it's all about just doing a challenge Mm -hmm. uh and jack is closer to the mario 64 style of these big areas uh that are have a diverse set of goals to accomplish um and yeah, it does still have like the Banjo Kazooie sort of like collectathon elements, but notably there really aren't that many collectibles. There's essentially three uh, in the game. Like it's just uh, orbs, power cells, and uh, the scout flies. And beyond that, it's mostly just do this pre-described goal, and then you get a reward at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my comparisons to Crash are more specifically, like, in the movement. Mm-hmm. Like, you can really feel the DNA of it, like, Naughty Dog experience on those games. Because, like, you have, like, the slide move, which in Crash wasn't an attack, but in this it is. And you have, like, a spin attack, and the double jump and the high jump both are, like, almost the same animation that Crash does when he jumps. Right. Uh, so it was cool, like, being able to, like draw those connections because like mm-hmm. i never played this at the time so this is a new, completely new experience for me and to this day i still haven't played crash bandicoot so wow yeah but uh yeah so it was cool to come back to um and i i did play both sly and ratchet and clank back in the day but this was the one of the of the the three playstation 2 platformers i never played mm-hmm. and i don't know if it's just like a coincidence thing like i just never ended up getting it um as a kid but it, it does seem like the kind of thing that would really appeal to me but one thing i could think of that would turn me away from it i think is i i really really don't like jack's character design okay i don't know how much of like a hot take it that is gonna <laughs> be or if people would agree with me or not but I think it just looks real bad, mm-hmm. and um, it, and it, it feels like an unfinished draft of a design to me, where it feels like it's got a couple of different elements that don't really have, like, cohesion to them, because he's got, like, the big elf ears, uh-huh. and then, in, like, Super Saiyan hair, and, like, a blue tunic, and some sandals, and it's like, <laughs> I don't know, it just doesn't really do it for me. Yeah, I, it's weird, because, like, I feel like it can't be like a real early concept because they designed this like race of people right Mm -hmm. like and i don't really like the character designs across the board really yeah sure Uh, what what i'm saying is more along the lines of like they they made this group and 
and like have a bunch of characters with the same uh sort of like physiology Mm -hmm. but like yeah it looks real weird and it doesn't necessarily have like anything that is inherently appealing about it like i think they started with daxter and they were like well we can't have just daxter (laughs) spoilers for eight years later when they made daxter on the psp which is actually a pretty good game Mm -hmm. uh but yeah, so they they then made a big dude to do all the actual stuff, and Dexter was just the voice essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little weird. Like I don't disagree with you. I don't think that I registered it at the time because like the whole world has, I'm gonna say it has kind of a Xeno Clash thing going on. <laughs> like it's that that style of like wood-based technology where everything looks like it's a machine that's made out of logs Mm -hmm. uh and so like i'm i'm i the weirdness of everything appeals to me but i do agree the character designs don't look like they just become humans after you look at them long enough Mm -hmm. like there isn't anything so distinct about them that it really like takes you away from that so Mm -hmm. Yeah, it they just stood out to me. It's like, I don't know, just something feels off about it to me. But, like, yeah, the rest of the game, I think, looks great. Mm-hmm. Um, for, like, you know, it looks like a, a very good PS2 game, uh, especially since it came out so early uh, in the console's life. But, yeah, and I like that, uh, even though I think this game falls a little bit more towards, like, the Mario end of the spectrum where it comes to video game story, uh, I like that, like, backstory like lore or whatever you want to call it that the game has of like the precursors and then it never really goes into detail about it yeah i I think that adds something interesting to it yeah i think because like all three of the the big main platformers uh have this like cartoon aesthetic that is like is a comedy like it has lots of jokes in it but the like where it, it obviously there's a spectrum of how funny each one goes like ratchet and clank is the most full of jokes and jack is probably the least but it still has jokes basically every time that you encounter any characters mm-hmm. uh but like it has this this story that's supposed to be like oh in the age of ancients and there were there's unknown technology and somebody's trying to unleash the dark eco mm-hmm. uh which all feels very like Jackie Chan adventures to me like it is that it is like the the cartoon the Warner Brothers cartoon style of the early 2000s is just this aesthetic perfectly like coalesced mm-hmm. like it and it, it comes across really strong and i don't think it ages exceptionally well but like it's not like it's bad yeah it no, just no, definitely is that not. thing <laughs> yeah it definitely shows his age mm-hmm. and i think that's a good comparison because this totally feels like a 90s like saturday morning cartoon that got canceled after a couple episodes (laughs) and like you talk to people and and, like one in every like 50 people you mention it to is like oh yeah i remember that yeah i saw that show (laughs) once or twice yeah uh yeah i don't know is that where is it that we want to focus this first half on i think is the question and i don't know like i think the the We've been kind of talking around it, but the larger design of the game 
is, like I said, closer to a Mario 64, but it's set up in this, like, collection of hubs. There's, like, three big hub worlds, and then each of those has smaller levels that branch off of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, well, I know that you're a big fan of hubs. I sure am. Yeah, you're a big hub guy. (laughs) Uh but how did how did these work for you? Like as far as uh, the the like traversal and like getting between levels. So, uh, I I I liked it a lot. Um, I I'm pretty sure. Don't quote me on this. This was the first game to have a completely like seamless game world mm-hmm, where it mm-hmm. you don't go through load screens or at least traditional load screens. Uh, there's a few parts where you like ride a boat somewhere or something, but like it never goes to a black loading screen. Um, yeah, and so it's all like interconnected, and I, I really like that sort of thing. Like, um, so I guess to express my thoughts on this, I wanted to give a quote from Miyamoto uh, <laughs> when he was talking about the Legend of Zelda: The Wind Waker, and he said. Uh, Zelda is a franchise that values reality over realism. And that's a quote that I really uh, identify with because what he means is like making a game feel real, Mm -hmm. even if it looks like a cartoon, uh, is what reality is, like by his (laughs) definition. Uh, And not like, you know, like, and realistic means looking something, making something look true to life. Right. Um, And I really value that. Like, it's one of like, if I could pick like a top three things I value in games, that's probably one of them. Uh, Just making a game world feel like a real place. So I really, really, really uh, like applaud their efforts here. Um, I think it can lead to some like a little bit more bland levels um if not done correctly but i think they do it pretty well here and manage to get like a pretty good variety and i'm the kind of person that prefers to walk around place to place in a game Mm -hmm. if it's designed for it rather than like warping around so two thumbs up for me (laughs) and the game makes uh sort of a a concession to that end where whenever you get to each area you can warp between the hubs Mm -hmm. um which is important in this game because it has like the incentive of playing this game more than one time is to collect all the shit that there is in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you do, then you get a little scene at the end. And it really is just like it, you have to be able to go back in order to make it not an arduous process if you're like oh, i missed three precursor orbs in the first area so let me get on this bike go through the canyon walk through that get on the bike again go back through the other volcanic canyon and then end up on the other side and then i can go look for those three orbs right uh so yeah like i agree mostly i think that it is a good thing that everything is sort of like contiguous and joined together um (laughs) i do love the little excuses they have for warping you to different locations like the boat Mm -hmm. Uh, i i think that is like genuinely like it's real cute to be like oh like we can go to that island that you don't even know that you want to go to 
or maybe don't even want to go to. Oh really. yeah, you started the game starts there, like mm-hmm. the cut, the opening cutscene, and it's like, oh, we weren't supposed to be here, and because <laughs> we were here, Daxter got turned into a weird ocelot thing. Yeah, ocel is what they're called. Yeah, mm-hmm. an ocelot and a weasel fused together or whatever. Uh, exactly so you right. would think that you wouldn't want to go back, but you d- <laughs> do have to go back because it is a level in the game. No, <laughs> uh, I mean, they do a good job of making it like of the early areas. It is the hardest one, uh, like by enemy encounter, like basis, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, they get they make it thematically appropriate. Uh, and the fact that you were like able to go there at all at the beginning makes some some amount of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, and so they gate it behind a thing. Like you have to go find the the fisherman and help him out, and then he will let you use the boat, and then you can take the boat to the island. And so there's this sort of like interconnectedness that I was I, I like going back to it especially. This is like my probably like my eighth time through this game this mm-hmm. was a kid game for me that i played a lot when i was a kid uh and like coming back to it like and not remembering how connected everything was it was a it was kind of a joy to like realize where everything sort of fit together mm-hmm. yeah and like there's playing it now there's like obvious as you said like we were talking about like riding the boat or, like, there's the underwater facility where you have to ride an elevator down. Yeah. And the, the snowy mountain where you have to take the ski lift up. And, the, like, the spider cave where you have to ride all of those uh The very slow-moving Yeah, and it's, like, it's all, like, if you, if you know how games are made, it's all there to give the game time to load in the new stuff mm-hmm. as you make your way over to it. But, like, it's done, it's done pretty well. Like, it doesn't really feel like a load screen like in the moment so like i think they pulled it off really well for the time like very impressively yeah yeah no i fully agree with that um and i mean we'll get into what i think are some of the sort of like problems but i don't actually think any of them came from this desire to make the game world completely uh contained Mm -hmm. like that did not backfire in a way that I would have expected it to. Like, most recently we talked about this kind of thing on uh, Tony Hawk when uh, in American Wasteland. This is such a pointless thing to reiterate because, like, <laughs> if you don't get what I'm saying, it's not going to make any sense. Yeah. Uh, but basically that whole, whole, like, all the levels in that were combined or were conjoined with these like little interstitial sections that fucked with the game physics and made it feel really bad to go through them. And I think made it suffer Mm -hmm. uh, for, in order to accomplish like a somewhat worthwhile goal. Uh, But I think more relevantly, we talked about this on God of War um, and how it borrowed from Naughty Dog's design philosophy. Mm-hmm. We weren't thinking Jack and Daxter at the time, but like, yeah, there, it's a game that is supposed to not is supposed to have no loading screens, and the way that they accomplish that is with like a zone where you run around in a circle until a portal opens up. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, when you need to warp, yeah, yeah, like when a 2018 like triple a video game fails to accomplish something on the level of 2001's jack and daxter like 
this was obviously not a super easy thing to do mm-hmm. and i'm impressed at the way that they pulled it off without it being detrimental in a huge way yeah like and i wouldn't even say that like god of war, war failed at what it was well, trying no. to do but like <laughs> for its time it didn't pull it off as like gracefully yeah yeah, this is, graceful is a great way of putting it. Yeah. That's how I feel like, about this. Naughty, or not Naughty Dog, Santa Monica Studios mm-hmm. should have known that when you warp, you should just do a load screen mm-hmm. and not have Kratos run around in endless looping staircase. <laughs> they were channeling their inner MC <laughs> Escher. Uh <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so that's that's kind of that. I do want to point out the slow-moving minecarts, just so I don't bring it up <laughs> later. I never got why they were... Like, I understood why you rode on them to get from place to place, like, as a child. Mm-hmm. But, like, even as a kid, I remember being like, what are these minecarts for? Because, like, they're just... The tops of them are just bolted shut with rivets. Like, mm-hmm. they were modeled as rivets. So it's not like it's a cart full of an ore and you're standing on it. It's a flat platform that's been bolted over the top of a minecart. So they just run endlessly carrying nothing to no one. It's like they only exist for you to stand on. Uh, uh, That is the real answer. They only exist for you to stand on. Um, But I guess like in, in... Game world explanation could be that like the mine is abandoned, so they like sealed up all the mine carts. <laughs> I don't want these to be useful anymore. <laughs> I don't know. It's the only thing I could uh, possibly think of. Yeah, I just they have can't to... be used for evil now. <laughs> can't they have can... these transporting dark eco. Yeah, that dar- that evil coal. Uh... <laughs> someone's like i know i've been bad this year but i want to get presents for christmas so i gotta attack the means of coal production (laughs) the red sage was bad (laughs) this year uh but anyway yeah i just had to get that out there otherwise it would have like exploded (laughs) into a much more relevant discussion and just ruined everything Uh, so do you have any, like, uh, standout levels that you were a big fan of? Or ones that you really fucking hate? <laughs> uh, I guess I have one for each of those. Although I w- wouldn't say that I really fucking hate the one that I dislike. But, uh, my favorite one is the underwater, uh, city, p- the plant, whatever it is. precursor city, I think yeah. is what it's called. That, yeah. I thought that was the best level. That one is great in the way that the um, the bonus areas in Super Mario Sunshine are great. Is that because it is all like precursor relic texture, like it's like that brassy, bassy sound when you walk on it, metal mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, they didn't have to like find a way to incorporate platforms into a world that otherwise is normal looking right and so it just is like a straight up platforming segment and it is great yeah know? it's because it, yeah it's more separated from the rest of the game because mm-hmm. it is under the ocean so they can get more like yeah like it doesn't have to logically link up to anything yeah yeah and it's very cool it's cool to find as well like mm-hmm. i kind of even forgot about it until i got there 
this time through. I was like, oh yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, and I, I like the touch that like one of the um, the orbs that you get from it like takes you up back up out of the water, and mm-hmm. it's like bobbing up on top of the little building or whatever. Yeah, a little submarine yeah. shortcut thing. So yeah, I thought that was cool. Yeah, yeah, no, super great. Yeah, and the one that I dislike are the uh, the spider mines, whatever mm-hmm. that level was called. Uh, found it to just be kind of generally unpleasant. <laughs> yeah, I don't disagree. I think I... I mean, I might just wholesale agree with both of your choices <laughs> as well. I think we found the highs and lows uh, of the game. Spider Cave feels a little bit unfinished to me. I think that they did the the climb the scaffolding one, mm-hmm. and we're like, where do we put this? Because it's cool, uh, and because that's their one good one is like the big platforming thing where you like swing on shit and fly all over the place. Right, it's a fun time, and I enjoyed doing it. Uh, but then they were like, how about we just have them walk in the dark for a while? <laughs> it's not particularly challenging. You just have to hit hit crystals. Yeah, it's like it's it's more dense with enemies, I think, than any other area. And at least in my opinion, uh, unless they're built around it, 3D platformers usually don't have great combat mechanics. Yeah. Uh, and also, it uh, feels like a glaring omission here. You can't just jump on enemies' heads in this. Right. Uh, which really threw me off. Like, I kept forgetting <laughs> that, like, you could do the spin attack while, like, above an enemy to hit them as you fall down into them. Yeah. Uh, so that was weird. To me, I feel like it's less of a glaring omission than it is sort of like this game's, like, signature style where you actually have to have, like, a hitbox out uh, to do damage. So, like... Their solution to the jumping thing is the ground pound, but as we get into when we talk more about sort of the actual platforming mechanics, mm-hmm. uh, you, it's really mushy uh, how your jumps work and the the ground pound will trigger at certain times, and so there's there's a bit of like that's not a great solution mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, I think it was the the familiarity with crash. That mm. threw me off, because Crash can jump on enemies' heads. That is true, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that level also has the fucking turret sections where you use the, the mm-hmm. yellow eco to shoot fireballs at things. Yeah, like, I think that main chamber of the cave is probably what's the worst part of it. It's like this big open chamber where you just kind of have to shoot centipedes on pillars. Like, it's... A big majority of the level that just has a really not fun or engaging <laughs> task for you to do. Mm-hmm. And I think the other areas that branch off from it are a lot better, but it's just got that central core of crap. <laughs> of garbage. In the yeah. center, yeah. Uh, yeah, and oh god, then the fucking the depth perception destroying moving <laughs> platform puzzle puzzle like plat that like oh yeah the precursor platforms or whatever yeah those also are terrible because that one uh... didn't give me too much trouble but yeah yeah it's not the best (laughs) uh this game has strengths and precision platforming is not one of them you don't have nearly enough air control for it yeah it's also it's more of a mechanics thing, so I don't. I feel like I want to talk about it later, but I'll just bring it up now. It's the camera mm. is a big part of that too, because you can only move it left and right and not up and down. Yeah, so, so you kind of have to yeah. just. <laughs> so platforming 
can be pretty difficult when you can't look down at what you're jumping on. And it's because like other areas in the game do this stuff as well, but better. Like the game does know its strengths. And I feel like, cause my, my actual least favorite area is probably snowy mountain mm. because it's just like, it's very big. <laughs> like it's huge. Uh, and you have to go around and around and around it to find all the different shit. Um, I did complete the game like 100%. <laughs> so like that probably plays into it. Snowy Mountain is a huge pain in the ass to get everything in. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you like, like even like just playing through that level, it is very like, kind of frustrating even though as as we've talked about this off the podcast like death is not very punishing in this game Mm -hmm. but like still getting reset a bunch of times to accomplish a one-eighth of a task is very annoying Mm -hmm. uh and it just like i don't know that that level kind of sucks uh (laughs) but the reason that spider cave feels also like it was like that one feels rushed and tacked on because it has things like the shooting stuff with yellow eco, which I think works in the swamp level where everything is more active and like, you don't have to use the zoom in mode and the platforming, which like we just talked about in the, the precursor city where they understand that their platforming works best horizontally and not vertically. So yeah, that made the final uh, evil layer level more frustrating than it should have been too yeah though it also gets points for being like one of the bonus areas from yeah, Mario yeah. Sunshine. <laughs> it, it wasn't that bad it's just like i felt that uh friction with the camera in that level too for sure uh i was just, i was gonna say well do we want to just move on and mm-hmm. talk about the mechanics we can uh yeah uh, my next thing that i felt like i was going to go into off of that was just talking about the eco power-ups oh yeah uh and what you think about them uh blue eco is phenomenal uh all of the other ones are dumb and pointless for the most part yeah i felt like they all felt underdeveloped to me oh oh how dare you say these things about Blue Eco? Because, <laughs> like, Blue Eco, all that it really accomplishes is that it makes you go a little bit faster, <laughs> and it, like, breaks boxes when you get close to them. It pulls things in yeah. in a satisfying way. Sure. <laughs> like, all of them, except for maybe the Red Eco, like, have, like, it's it's satisfying to shoot the projectiles with the yellow and stuff. It just, none of them feel like they really accomplish that much, or, like, they're factored in that much into the design of the game yeah red in particular i think we can agree is the is the, by and far the worst of the three power-up eco types mm-hmm. because you don't it, it doesn't it functionally does nothing because the majority of enemies die in a single hit mm-hmm. so it ends up being this like thing that is basically a a key to a lock it's like a puzzle solution Mm -hmm. where you have to use it to break this guy's shield so that you can hit him once and he'll die in one hit otherwise uh or like you have to use it to do some other thing like that's the only use that red ego ever has Mm -hmm. yellow is a bit more versatile because but they use it in mini games essentially like things that aren't basic platforming and combat you use them to like 
play the rat mini game or <laughs> do mm-hmm. whatever fucking else. Uh, like throw a bunch of enemies at you. Mm-hmm. They just fucking hit, smash the square button until they're all dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do agree. It also feels underdeveloped. And like, if you took it out, you would only have to remove like three segments yeah. from levels for it to even not matter. Yeah. Cause like in, it's one of the first couple of levels is in like the forest or the jungle or whatever it is. Uh, you actually had to like get the blue eco and then make it to a spot to like, charge something up and like that feels like one of the only examples of like where the power-ups are actually used in an interesting way yeah i think they use that the blue that specific challenge a number of times throughout the game like the blue eco is used as like a time limit like speedy movement thing Mm -hmm. uh especially if you're trying to go for precursor orbs because they have those little like vault things that when you hit it with the blue eco they like come up out of the ground mm-hmm. um and I, I don't know i like i really like those i like the idea of using a power up also as like a key card mm-hmm. where you can use it in multiple different ways plus like the movement speed and the the item vacuuming i think is legitimately useful uh i don't know i personally like, one of my notes was just like <laughs> blue eco is great uh. and i love blue eco and i hate all the other eco <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree, like, blue is by far the best implemented. I still feel like it felt underdeveloped to me. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen more done with it. On the other hand, yeah, like, if blue eco was even better, yeah. I would like it yeah, like, more. Yeah, just like, cut, just cut the other ones <laughs> and uh, just flesh out the blue more. I do wonder And, like, how give you much... a different, like, projectile, like, weapon or something to replace the yellow. Well, yeah, welcome to Jack 2, <laughs> the one where they gave you a gun. Uh, Red Eco is great in that game because it is a shotgun. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I do, I wonder how much, like, they had decided on where they wanted the narrative to go before implementing the Eco power-ups. Because it's like, the first stage that you meet is the Green Eco one. And Green Eco just gives you health back. And is totally makes sense. Could have stood alone mm-hmm. uh, as far as like just if you were making any 3D platformer, you need something to, to heal you. Mm-hmm. Green eco sounds like a thing that's going to heal you. So it works. We're done. Uh-huh. And then you go to the, the blue sages hut next and blue eco was already introduced in the tutorial even. Uh, and you're like, okay, I get this. Like, here's my other power up. And then you go to the red sage. You're like, okay, so there's four sages here. <laughs> like we know where these, that there are four of them and they needed to put in things to represent them. And what they came up with was just not very good. <laughs> See, I think it's the other way around. Do you think they had the power ups yeah, first? I think it's more like they knew they wanted X amount of areas. And so they're like, we'll have x amount of power-ups as like progression throughout them all mm-hmm. and then, then when they were doing the story they're like we can tie a character to each thing uh-huh. as like as a you know an explanation for like where it comes from yeah but i agree and honestly the inter- that seems the most logical thing to me because like it doesn't feel like the story would have influenced anything get how threadbare it is yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> like, I'm honestly a little bit impressed as to how interconnected everything is because it's like the power ups are tied to the sages who are tied to the main plot line, who are tied to the layout of the world and everything. And it's like, that's all nice and good. Mm-hmm. But it's weird that the thing that suffers the most from it is the mechanical implementation in the 3D platformer. Yeah. They, they were like, oh, well, we just have the red eco do nothing. Yeah. Like, the, the implication of like the theming in the story like the, the powers of the sages makes it seem like all of them should be more important yeah. so like the ones that are underdeveloped stand out more yeah that is definitely true and also like the sages themselves if we're being very honest about it don't really do anything either yeah they're just kidnapped the whole for the whole game and then you just show up and save them so. yeah so I really didn't pay that close of attention to the story mm-hmm. uh, which really wasn't a problem because it it doesn't really seem like they care that much about putting a story in the game but uh, uh every time i get to the sage's hut i'm like it's always the same guy here like i, I thought it was <laughs> i thought that we were like the guy from the first hut was teleporting to all these places but every time i'm in one he's there too so it, it, do they all just look the same yeah. but the girl just calls them all dad so like i was like i did not understand that the sages had been kidnapped from their huts until I saved them at the end of the game. <laughs> There's a cutscene where the guy comes in and is like, I kidnapped this sage. Yeah, wasn't that like at the beginning though? No, it's a, like, the, at the beginning you don't know it's happening. Right. And then I think it's in the third mm. area is when the bad guy gets introduced right. and he goes, he gives a speech about it. Yeah. And I think he's played by Kevin Conroy, who is yeah, Batman. Some, he voices someone in the game. Yeah, so that makes sense that it would be him. Yeah, it's pretty. He's got a good. He's the one, one good voice actor. That's not well, true. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Tom Kenny is the uh, the fisherman. Yeah, and probably knowing him, other some additional other people, voices. Yeah, yeah. The voice of the uh, the precursor statue thing that gives you the that orbs sounds like Mister Claw. Or yeah, Dr. Like, Claw. I could not think of what voice it reminded me of. Like, I recognize it from something, but <laughs> the thing that came to my mind, and I don't think it's the same guy, <laughs> but he sounds like the guy from the lodge in Harvester. <laughs> yes, I also thought that as well. I did look this up, and I actually don't remember what it was. Yeah, I don't. I think I was looking at his IMDb page, and I don't think Harvester was on it, so. Maybe he scrubbed it, which, <laughs> <laughs> if we're being honest. Yeah, like, be a bad idea. I think he's got like a a credits on a bunch of games that are all just like additional voices, so it could be fucking anything that I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. No, I wouldn't be surprised if he's just one of those guys who just does a bunch of shit. Yeah, but it is like uh, as growing up, I definitely thought Doctor Claw from uh, <laughs> yeah from Inspector Gadget, which is like just plays into how much like a cartoon this game is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, yeah, coming back to it now, I was like lodge guy from, from Harvester <laughs> is basically the same voice as well. Yeah. But I, I keep, I guess coming back to it and I don't think you've really given your opinion on the story <laughs> in the game because like, I'm usually like a story in games kind of guy. Right. Like I really appreciate a story of some kind in a game uh, usually adds like a positive uh, element for me, even if it's not that great. But this game, for some reason, just like made me into the opposite of what I normally <laughs> am, where like 
anytime story things would happen, I would just like zone out. Mm-hmm. I, uh, <laughs> so I paid attention. To it's the like, story. I don't think it's especially bad. It's just something about it just made me not care. Yeah. Well, it's because you've seen this kind of shit all the time. I guess. Yeah, it's playing it now in 2021. I'm like, come on, game. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> I like I paid attention to it this time specifically because I knew we were going to be talking about it. Mm-hmm. Th- little did I know <laughs> uh, <laughs> that we aren't. Uh, but I will say that I did not remember the plot of this game. Mm-hmm. Despite having played this game to completion multiple times as a child, uh... But I did remember flying around on that bike and running into the flying lurkers. So something is amiss there when the most boring, worst objective in the whole game is more memorable (laughs) than the actual plot. Um, And that's not, if you're from Naughty Dog and you're listening to this podcast. You've come a long way. Yeah, like, thanks, I guess. Uh, (laughs) But don't take this as like, this game, I loved this game then and still do mm-hmm. uh but it is not because of a well-crafted plot and yeah. like i made a crack earlier about the voice acting not being very good but the voice acting isn't terrible it's the voice like sound quality that is bad uh so they even like tried with that like the script isn't horrible it's mm-hmm. just very basic and the actual like performances and stuff like there's a reason that dexter is what shines in this game mm-hmm. and it's because he just gets quippy one-liners which are what you remember about it right because like, like the he, gex effect yeah <laughs> like, uh, he's gonna release the dark eco it's like well i haven't gotten that power up yet so i don't know what it does mm-hmm. uh turns out kills you uh but <laughs> that's yeah that's just sort of like the fate of the narrative in this game as with a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think another thing is that in comparison to something like Sly Cooper and Ratchet and Clank and other games at the time, like the PS2 era specifically was when you could do a lot more with games. Like like the leap from PS1 to two was huge. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was a period where games pushed a lot more into like storytelling and like trying to figure out how to do stories and games so it was like the era of like the 20 minute cutscene, you know like where they kind of just tried to put movies in the games right um and this game doesn't really do that so it kind of stands out is like feeling like an outlier for its time mm-hmm. uh yeah and I, I do actually sort of like i think that there there was a pressure in ps2 times because metal gear solid really broke out on the playstation Mm one as being like look with this disc format we can put whatever the fuck we want on here yep uh and so they it was a game that like that was innovative mechanically but it was also like a narrative piece like it was something like it was intended as a story as much as it was as a game and i think that as we move into the next generation and people want to play with the new technology and make something that is like faster and bigger and newer uh, in, in gameplay, which is what these people generally speaking are good at. Like people who were in the video game industry in 2001 weren't 
for the most part, writers. They were programmers and, and game designers and people who were good at that kind of shit. And they felt this pressure to sort of, like, create a story because there was a popularization of it mm-hmm. uh, on the PS1. And, man, sometimes they just <laughs> threw whatever... They were like, we gotta make it big and epic and then just jam everything else into its place. <laughs> Yeah, and like Square Enix is another company that pushed that sort of stuff a lot. Um, we have to show our individual influences. Oh here, yeah, it's just like those I, are yeah. those are the two. Yeah, uh, Konami and and Square pushed that stuff pretty hard. Um, but yeah, and like it, it was just kind of the way the games were paced. Like you you got a chunk of gameplay, and then a cutscene as a reward. It was kind of like the pacing of games yeah. in that in that time. And I, that actually kind of, like, the fact that this game doesn't do that kind of makes it hold up better than some other games that kind of botched that balance. <laughs> because, like, it, this game is really smooth to play. Like, you know, it's it's brisk mm-hmm. and fun. And, you know, it's, it's easy to pick up and play. Yeah, not too long either. Like, yeah. it's, it's a pretty, like, it's a tight five of a video game. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Uh, before we transition into a whole nother tangent of stuff, yeah. uh, do we want to continue Take... to do that <laughs> after a break? <laughs> Even with all that setup, I couldn't, I couldn't pick up where you were going for some well, reason. Well, cause I was just going to say, do we want to continue after the break? But uh-huh. then I was like, oh, we had to say it in unison and I'm not, not, I don't yeah. have a good lead up to it. <laughs> oh no. That is... <laughs> Let this be the time when I say not does not have to be done in unison anymore. Uh, after, after the, the break. break. Are you ready to start our own mascot platformer, Chad Dan Dandy? Where you still sit on my shoulder and make quippy <laughs> remarks. <laughs> yes if you're the one who's going to be doing all the the hard work yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll punch some guys okay um you gonna say welcome back welcome back what's up what are we talking about uh so <laughs> i don't know whether or not you're gonna leave that in or cut it out but now you're gonna have to leave it in um <laughs> Because you mentioned how Daxter sits on Jack's shoulder mm. and just kind of makes quippy remarks. Mm-hmm. It stood out to me as weird that he's not really integrated into the gameplay, like, hardly at all. Yeah. In the way that, like, Kazooie or Clank are. Yeah. Like... He's part of the spin attack. Sort of, Kind of. Yeah, like, it's not even clear that his, like being there makes the attack like a larger thing than if it was just jack spinning on his own Mm -hmm. like you could interpret it that way and that would be a way of having him incorporated into the mechanics and like when you do the dash move Mm -hmm. like the punch he like goes forward as well but i don't know if that really like that just feels like an animation flourish to me yeah uh but yeah, it's it is strange. Like he has almost no relevance, even in like a like not even in a uh, uh, like in game 
way. Like, Jack is just doing everything. Yeah. Like, even Clank, like, sat on his back and produced robotic tools and could hover <laughs> Yeah, shit. he was like the double jump. Yeah. So it is, it's strange that, that, like, it's called Jack and Daxter, and then the sequels are called just Jack, and I think there's a reason yep. for that. It's just strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just it's something I didn't even think about until like I was like halfway through. I'm like, Daxter doesn't do anything. He just <laughs> makes a quip when I die or whatever. Yeah. And it's like you want to call him like comic relief, but as you said on the first half, like it's already just kind of like a silly cartoon world, so he's just more comic. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really a relief from anything. <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of more comedy on the pile. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of strange. Uh, I will say, though, that his uh, primary function as an animation flourish is kind of where the game shines anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about sort of like the aesthetic design of the visuals, but the actual animation in this game is, like, it's not unique for me to even say it, but it's really good. Uh, it... it like it's been talked about how like sort of consistently everything is animated and how much like expressiveness is communicated through everything like when like i said when jack does the the punch attack and he like flies off the end of his hand he like holds on to his fingers and then climbs back up his shoulder all as part of this like 45 frame long animation or however long it is Mm -hmm. so it's not even like a whole second but they give daxter like things to do when it's happening Mm -hmm. Um, and that's like every action you have yeah like every single attack he's like animated as a separate part like it's not he's not governed by physics he has like his own keyframes uh and so all of that is very impressive uh but no yeah it doesn't do anything otherwise (laughs) Yeah, he's just uh, Naughty Dog showing off. Mm-hmm. That's what Daxter is for. <laughs> like, uh, So when I started this game up, or I watched you start it, whichever one it was, uh, I didn't know like, like the premise uh, uh, that Daxter was just a regular guy. Yeah. He got turned into the... Ossel. Ossel, that's yeah. the one. Uh, and... I find it really weird that, like, that's the case. Like, I don't know. It's weirder, I think, to find out. And he never out. gets turned back. Yeah. That's the key thing, is that, like, in Jack and Daxter, you get introduced to Daxter as, like, a shitty little dude, and then he gets turned into a shitty little man, Even littler dude? Yeah. And he hangs out with you for the whole game, and then at the end is supposed to be his, like, heroic sacrifice uh even though like they play it as a joke like he doesn't really have a choice uh because it's either he stays the way that he is or he gets changed back but also everyone dies yeah but the thing is though is that they have that little cut scene where they're like oh light eco that could be what changes me back and he's like oh or i guess it could be what saves the world (laughs) right but (laughs) when it resumes gameplay a whole bunch of light eco flies out of like whatever it is uh, that it pops out of, like the lasers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
it seems like Jack could have got the light ego to save the world, and Daxter could have got some to change back. Right. If only he wasn't literally glued to, to, to yeah. your shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> that is probably true. But in the context of the game, though, like, even that, like, the, him being a guy getting changed and then deciding to save the world instead of changing back is sort of like part of his character arc. Mm-hmm. But if you know about the game, but haven't played it and know that there are many sequels and Daxter's always a little orange guy, then yeah, it's going to seem extremely weird because like you get introduced to him as this character who is just then never shown again in 20 years. <laughs> That's why we need Jack Four, baby. Yeah. Um, Finally change Daxter back, <laughs> and then I guess kill him because there's you don't want a second guy. Hashtag justice for Daxter. <laughs> but uh, so on the first half, we talked about uh, a lot of your moves that you have, and I said how they were similar to like Crash Bandicoot. Mm-hmm. But like, one thing I want to talk about is the double jump. Yeah. Uh, there's a weird, and this was true in Crash as well, there's a weird timing to it, to where if like you don't hit the X button at the right part of the jump, the double jump just doesn't happen. Yep. And it's something that I'm sure other people can, but I've played hours and hours and hours of Crash and, you know, played this for however long. Still not used to it. <laughs> like, I still fuck it up too frequently it's some there's something just weird about it yeah it it's to me anyway uh it's like a it is a learned thing where you have to get used to it and sometimes you just won't mm-hmm. but also there's definitely an instinct from playing other platformers that have double jumps uh, and even non-platformers with double jumps, like I think of like Doom 2016, where you can double jump in that game at any time when you're in the air, and the what that accomplishes is that you can change your sort of like momentum or like make longer jumps instead of higher ones by jumping later in the arc. Uh, and in Jack and Daxter, you just cannot do that because if you wait too long, then you can't double jump anymore, and you will assuredly plummet to your death. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, yes, it is a very weird, and it's really hard to get used to, uh, but as you said, it is also present in Crash, which makes it feel like, well, either, A, they ported the physics over, and, like, the controls, <laughs> mm-hmm. or that is, like, an intentional choice? It, it, I feel like it has to be an intentional choice. Like, it's too, it's not one-to-one. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like they've recreated the kind of feel of some of the things in Crash, but it's not, like, exactly the same. Yeah. So, like, yeah, it has to be something that they consciously decided that they thought was good (laughs) and wanted to put in the game. I mean, it has to have been, to me, anyway, it feels like something that was designed with the idea of adding additional challenge to the platforming. Uh, And it probably helps when you're designing a platforming stage if you're if the player character cannot go a huge distance um, because it, it allows you to place platforms closer together without there being like really obvious skips. There is the jump, the roll jump move, mm-hmm. uh, which does exactly that. It makes you go super far. Like the long jump does. Uh, but 
it is harder to control Mm -hmm. but i've seen some people who are very good at this game being able to do like weird 360 roll jumps and skip like (laughs) huge sections of stages by getting to places that they shouldn't have otherwise been able to go to Mm -hmm. uh which is interesting like i like that there is that element of like a skill ceiling that is high uh but just playing the game like the double jump makes it very difficult to to get around and then i don't know if this compounds with it or is just a separate bad thing that i don't like but they're frequently moving platforms that are really small and are moving at a velocity that if you grab onto the edge of them and then try and jump onto them they will have moved far enough away that you just grab the edge a second time and that is just that feels horrible when that happens yeah um they don't take inertia into uh account with that Mm, you don't move you don't move along with the platform yeah no it's weird uh for sure it it, it's one of those things that yeah as you're saying it's hard to get used to Mm because like i feel like other platformers don't usually work that way yeah then i think is the key thing is that this doesn't play the <laughs> you, you jagged axe is not like other platformers <laughs> Jag, jagged axe is always wearing this hat normal people don't do that uh <laughs> uh it's it's real it is it's just like a learned behavior i think among people who play platformers and then like coming to this and having to unlearn it or learn something new is just really hard Mm -hmm. i think that's kind of the key yeah and i think there's other things too like the uh the ground pound and as you already mentioned like the roll jump there's an element of like timing to those two that feels a little bit more like rigid then mm. i think a lot of like i think a lot of other platformers are more forgiving like it, it you'll find or at least i found myself like fucking up moves quite a bit more often than i feel like i do in other games yeah especially in combat at least for me like i feel like early in the game you get the sort of the feeling that combat is going to be a non-challenge uh there's a lot of enemies that essentially die in one hit to the spin move and the spin move just covers your whole area Mm -hmm. in a very large area and you can move around while you do it uh and it's just like why how would an enemy ever be challenging under these circumstances (laughs) but like it's the more of the the level design that makes the combat a challenge but a lot of it does seem to be just like i fucked up in executing what i was doing which i guess is good like you would rather have the player be the one responsible for doing well Mm -hmm. but a lot of the time it just feels like it's the game having weird (laughs) restrictions on what you can do yeah like i i in the early game mostly tried to use the punch for combat but and once i switched to like pretty much just always using the spin Mm -hmm. instead because that seemed superior like i didn't really have much trouble with combat after that but you have like like the uh in snowy mountain right yeah there's the ice areas and shit. sure yeah so you end up having to like navigate and like your moves have a cooldown 
that isn't mm-hmm. really ever expressly i mean it would be weird for them to acknowledge it in the game mm-hmm. but like it, there wasn't like a tutorial for that where it's like can't do the spin jump too many times in a row maybe put some like dizzy mm. thing over his head like some stars yeah, use or something. Ja- use daxter for something yeah get a little visual information mm-hmm. uh and so you'd end up doing a thing where you like spin and miss or even hit a guy and like slide away from them and then another guy well, will show up yeah, and hit well, you. The snow level has the problem of the infinitely spawning snow enemies. Yeah. <laughs> which can that that's a problem in and of itself. Yeah, it did feel kind of unnecessary. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh Maybe I found combat more challenging at the end of the game because I was mostly trying to roll jump everywhere, mm. which does lead to you smacking into shit a lot. That's true. It's been a while since I actually finished this game, mm-hmm. so I'm struggling to remember some specifics uh, as far as it goes, as far as like the mechanics go, mm. and... Like, I, I was imagining we were talking about the double jump and the platform grabbing uh, in the, like, what is that? The, the dark jungle or something? Mm-hmm. That area with the uh, with the big eco tower. And there's all this sort of, like, stuff in that level uh, that is, like, brand new to you for the most part when you're playing the game. And I think the one that comes foremost to my mind when I think about that area is the Netfish minigame. And so I wanted to ask what you thought about all of the, like, almost one per level weird minigame challenges that they added. Um, I'm not really a fan of that kind of thing, but it's something that once again like comparing it to crash always had stuff like this like the um the vehicles especially like Mm. the jet ski and the bike those might have just been the same uh vehicle i don't remember but uh yeah so i wasn't surprised to find them and i think we've talked about this on the cast before but these sorts of things were way more common at the time that this was made um they didn't really bother me Except for the fishing one, because I found it to be hard. Yeah. Because like, most of them were easy. Mm-hmm. So, I thought the rat one was the hardest of them. The rat one. <laughs> it's in the swamp, and you have to like shoot all the rats before they get to the food. It's like oh, space invaders. Yeah, I did that one one try, baby. <sighs> I th- well, I, th- I did the fish one one try. So oh, really? Swish me. Goddamn. But... That one took me like probably like 15 times. The first time that I played this game, it probably took me three days. <laughs> So, like, the, me completing it in one try means nothing other than I knew how to play it. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- so I have a ton of experience with these. Sure. Um, but the <laughs> I kind of hate all of them. Like, I don't... It's not that they were hard or easy or too hard or too easy, even. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could have fallen anywhere in that spectrum. I just think that the... They, for the most part, felt very, like, cheap and bad. Mm-hmm. As far like, I would never play a game that was advertised as what the fishing game was. Right. Like, I just wouldn't do it because it wouldn't be any fun. Uh, it's, it's basically, like, a very difficult version 
of like old arcade games anyway like the the rat one is just space invaders and the fishing one is i don't know kind of like breakout i think there was like a game and watch game where you had to catch things Mm -hmm. ball or something (laughs) uh and it's all just kind of the same shit uh but like just skinned in this way and with wonky ass hitboxes uh yeah it is just that early 2000s, like, uh, shoehorned variety mm-hmm. uh, trope. Um, yeah, where they're just like, we gotta put in some variety in the gameplay, but, you know, you can only spend so much of the time and budget on that, so it's gonna just kind of be crap <laughs> uh, that's shoehorned in. Yeah. But yeah, it's something that, like, yeah, the game would be better without it, but I think because I grew up with stuff like this, it just does it feels like a non-factor to me, like... That's fair. I like I don't know how to how to describe my exact feelings on it cuz I know when I got there and I saw the the fish basket and I was like uh, I remember this now. <laughs> I got to do the stupid fish thing. I feel like it does it stings a lot more if you're going for completion, I guess. That is true. I knew I had to finish yeah, it. So. Yeah. <laughs> I really had to buckle down. <laughs> <laughs> uh that's another thing I think we could talk about is uh I'm not really a completionist kind of person. Um, going for a hundred percent in something is usually like m- way too tedious to be fun for me. Mm-hmm. But even I got like ninety-five of a hundred of the orbs <laughs> in this. Like I think this is a game that makes completion really accessible. Yeah, I think it's a combination of a bunch of different factors, and this is coming from somebody who is basically a completionist anonymous like <laughs> i grew up 100 percent in games because like most kids like i couldn't just go and buy a new game so mm-hmm. i would play a game until it was like as done as it could be and i think that sort of like the call this is i don't know if this is a hot take either there's a, a debate that goes on and that we talk about mm-hmm. and like the side of it that we're on uh between like should a game be long in order to justify its price tag or be short and like more tightly designed for the idea of like, yeah, I'll pay $60 for something that is very good as opposed to something that is good and takes a long time to do. Uh, And we usually say like, I like a short game. I like being able to sit down and complete something and feel like I got something out of it. And uh, like, while I still agree with that, uh, the, that is one of the things that definitely like led to me not wanting to complete games anymore is that I just felt like there's a million games out there and I actually have access to a lot of them. So I want to just kind of get through stuff so that I can try new things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to revisit that a bit on my final thoughts, but we'll get there. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> so to, to put it together, uh, I went for 100% completion in this game because the game is very short. It has lots of things to inform you of where things are, so it's a lot easier to sort of find all the stuff. And nostalgia is, like, purely, like, the probably the biggest element in that scale, where I was like, I know where a lot of this stuff is already, and I just want to do it to say that I did it. Yeah. And, like, it's just... it's For me, as somebody as I just said, like, d- doesn't like the idea of completing things at all. Uh, I didn't even try and I got close. Like you, mm-hmm. it's, I, I appreciate that it's a game you wouldn't have to put forth 
that much extra effort to to 100%. Yeah. Especially considering... It just feels really rare. Yeah. Uh, And not like rare, like rareware. No. Because (laughs) Banjo-Kazooie requires a Herculean effort (laughs) to fucking complete 100%. I do want to, to call out that the end scene that you get is so shitty. Yeah, I looked it up. <laughs> it's just like a teaser. Uh-huh. It's not even a teaser. It's like it doesn't all the, tease anything. All, yeah, all the orbs go in the door, and then it like it opens, but like an angle that you can't see it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fucking Marcellus Wallace's briefcase. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just a light bulb in it. Wow. It's beautiful. Yeah. So I'm glad I did not put forth the little bit of extra effort to get everything. <laughs> yeah, it would have been pointless. Uh, I do, as, as much as this information is, I'm sure, gone from your brain, I do want to ask, like, what were the ones that you skipped? <laughs> I do remember some of them, and most of them were on accident. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought I had gotten everything and didn't bother to check the list until later and That's realized fair. I didn't have them. But, like, I was missing one, like, I was missing five, so I was missing one in, like, four different levels. Like, I think I got everything in all the hubs. Um, The one, the only one that I was just, like, fuck it, I don't care, was just in the the spider caves. There was the, the dark eco-crystals. Yeah. Like, I couldn't find the fourth one. Like, I destroyed three of them and was like, I don't want to comb through this cave again. So, I, so I just left. That's fair. Because <laughs> if I were to choose which ones to skip, it would be all of the ones in the Precursor Basin. Uh, which one is that? That is the one where you're on the hovercraft. Oh, yeah. For the whole thing. And, like, there's the challenge where you have to do like collect the rings and you basically just have to memorize. Yeah. And I actually think I got them all on that one. That's that. Like, I'm surprised so you didn't say that was one of the level, like, your least favorite level. Cause that's what I expected. <laughs> yeah. It kind of is, uh, to some extent, but like, uh, thank God that in the PlayStation four version of the game, uh, by virtue of the fact that it is on a PlayStation 4, you can turn off the rumble feature. Oh, God. Uh, because it just literally vibrates the whole time that you're on the, the cart. Oh, that's otherwise. terrible. Yeah. So I, I switched that off and um, and had yeah. a better time with it and not numb hands. I must have turned the vibration off on my PS4 controller so early in my like lifespan of having it that i forgot that it even has rumble oh yeah it sure does and that will remind you of it because <laughs> like it's the it's a combination of a bunch of different things like i want to talk a little bit about how good i think the sound design is generally in this game mm-hmm. uh though i don't know that i'll have that much nuance to say about it beyond it's good uh <laughs> <laughs> we'll see but the sound of the car being on at all is just this like kind of wet engine turning sound that just goes on and on and on forever the whole time you're on it and it vibrates constantly uh and the goals in that are really tedious and kind of difficult and so the combination for that area is just like it just gets real old and is like numbing to the senses and gives mm. you a headache and a and disables your nervous system through vibration. Uh, 
Was that all you had to say about the sound design? <laughs> no, that was I was uh, that's all I had to say about the precursor uh, basin. Okay. Uh, so yeah, that level like it was one of those things where I like when I got to it, I was like, of course, there's an all vehicle level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you even have like little interstitial areas that are mm-hmm. all vehicle as well. Yeah. Um, and you're like, this is enough vehicle for me. But it wasn't enough for Naughty Dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess if you go through the trouble of making like different movement mechanics for a thing, you want to use it yeah. as much as you can. It is the most fleshed out like mini game, like non platforming thing. Yeah, so. and yeah, I feel like a broken record, but I, I feel like I had to keep coming back to Crash because they always had similar vehicles in those. Like Crash rode a motorcycle mm-hmm. in certain levels, and. Uh, Coco, I think, is the girl. Yeah, she always had, like, the jet ski levels. And so, like, they already clearly liked developing, like, that style of, like, a side, like, activity into their games. So right, it's another thing that they carried over. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, to actually talk about the sound design, if you want to, is uh, I, I just think that they, they put a lot of care into... And this is mostly a for-the-time kind of thing, because I feel like this is almost expected in a lot of games these days. Mm -hmm. But, like, the sound of you, like, just walking on different material is different. Uh, And Jack has a little idle animation, like, when you stop moving, where he sort of, like, cools down. Like, he'll still be walking in place Mm -hmm. before he stops and stands still. And, like, the sound gets, like, softer and, like, pats in rhythm with his feet as he's doing it. Um and I always thought that was really impressive. Um, and even like, while I think that the car sound effect got jarring and annoying, the fact that it's there and like the, the engine revving and stalling out noise when you do the like air brake turns, uh, is like chunky and makes sense for what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. And, and like, even like the, the hit sound effects are usually pretty good. Yeah, the hit sound effects are, like, those really good cartoony punch sound effects. Mm-hmm. You almost like, see, like, the Adam West, like, bam. Yeah, and, like, the spin sound is, like, the kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of attention to detail in that stuff. And, yeah, as I keep going back to the well of Crash Bandicoot, and you're, like, you see all these things from Crash in Jack and Daxter, but you can also see a lot of the stuff that they would go on to do in, like, Uncharted, like, all, like, they're known for attention to detail like right. that's what naughty dog's thing is as they make the most like realistic and detailed games uh out there right now after they made this cartoon game yeah but like <laughs> you can see you can really see like they care about those little things mm-hmm. uh yeah and that shines through in this yeah uh one thing i also wanted to uh mention was just the soundtrack um because it feels like it, it you can either go like two like main different ways i think with a video game soundtrack which is you can go for more ambiance or you can go for more like catchy themes right and this game i think falls very far to the side of just like ambient background music and to the point where like i didn't even really felt like i noticed it till towards the end like the end credits music it was like playing and i'm like uh, this is like a like a crash running away from a dinosaur uh, level like song here for the end credits, and I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't really think about the music during this. Yeah, 
I mean, I agree with you. I think that it works well as ambience to the levels. Mm-hmm. I think that that, and I don't know, I don't know if I'm off base here, because <laughs> I feel like I've said this on a couple of different episodes, um, and maybe I've just like I'm taking for granted that video game music is just like consistently gotten better over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the end theme, like the credits theme, is like the shittiest garbage. <laughs> like it's. <laughs> Boring. It sounds like it's a leftover track. Like it doesn't sound like the end credits theme. Yeah, it's it's very. I mean, maybe that's as amped up as the game ever gets yeah. as far as the music goes. Cause I mean, I it was, also it, didn't notice. It was one of the only songs that like stood out to me at all. But it might have just been because it, it was playing over credits and not you doing stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, I entirely agree. Yeah, and so the only other thing that I had that I wanted to touch on was just, like, Naughty Dog in general. Uh-huh. Um, because you had, I think, in, like, the PS1 and 64 era, you had things like Crash and Spyro. And the studios that made those games went on to do new IPs when the PS2 came out. And then... You saw that happen again when we got to the PS3 like they did Uncharted and The Last of Us. But the PS4 generation, we kind of saw most things that became popular franchises on the PS3. Just They just made sequels yeah. for the PS4 and uh, Xbox One. And it's something that, like... I I miss that like it's like a new console generation like everybody starts fresh and does something new and it really makes like Naughty Dog while like their games I think they're more modern games can be easy to criticize for reasons we've gone into on other episodes um I think I'd really like to see them kind of look back at their catalog and, like, I don't want to see, like, a Jack 4. I joked about it earlier. Right. But, like, I'd like to see them do a 3D platformer. Like, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see other 3D, or 3D, other AAA studios make different kinds of games. Um, and, I don't know, like, the idea of Naughty Dog doing, like, a modern 3D platformer in a way that's different than the way that, like, Nintendo would do it. Or, you know, like, anybody who actually might make a 3D platformer. Like, I'd like to see a different spin. And it just kind of, that idea excites me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. I, I think that would be... I I feel like this is one of those things that ends up being kind of an industry-wide problem. Where, when you have a big studio, yeah, in the past, it was generally like a a tendency to try and make something new for each new console uh and kind of like because that's where most triple a development money went is like big console games like can we make the thing that's going to sell the platform and then we'll have a steady stream of income from that point on Mm -hmm. Uh, so everybody wanted something they could advertise like check out this new thing that's exclusive to us um and nowadays it's like we've we've established those things like people know what you can get on the playstation and it happens to be uncharted and the last of us (laughs) and And, god of war mm -hmm. etc and so naughty dog is going to be right naughty dog is going to be like more comfortable producing sequels 
from like a financial standpoint. And I agree. I would love to see them try something different, but I think that the studio has already gone through a lot of turmoil regarding yeah. like staffing and shit like that, where if they aren't able to maintain employees and that creative energy that made Jack is probably so far gone at this point. Like, I don't know how, like, re- how reliable they would be at that. Yeah, I mean, it's still, like, I think could make sense to, like, get a lot of new people and start from square one and yeah. do something new. Yeah, just anything. And I mean, I support that as like an idea for any developer, really. Just like try making a new IP, even if you don't give it the full like treatment that you give to Uncharted. Exactly. Like it doesn't. I blanked on what I was going to (laughs) say. Oh, I think uh, I remember. I think like Naughty Dog is, I think, one of the studios that could like get away with it quotes uh Mm -hmm. the easiest like anything that i think their name would sell a game on its own pretty much regardless of what it was yeah unless it looked like really stupid or something (laughs) uh like i think people would be curious to check out whatever they made and that would sell it to me yeah like like, you at least have one guaranteed sale yeah like the last of us part two was like people were hating it before it even came out and people review bombed it and it still sold well. Yeah. You know, like, so people it's still got game of the year. It's yeah. still got all kinds of shit. So like, yeah, I think people are willing to buy what they make. So I just like to see them take some advantage of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, I don't even know who I want to like, this is not on the same level, but I was thinking of like double fine does like specifically or did, uh, they did like a lot of little things in between their bigger projects. And they're, they're a studio that for the most part is known for making new IPs. They don't do a ton of sequels. Um, but they intentionally step away from what they're working on in order to make other games. And I feel like that would be a beneficial practice for a ton of different companies. Like uh, when you're not as small and you're not as independent, you don't have the freedom to do that necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, I don't know, like Ubisoft does it. Like they made uh child of light, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was just like a little game that didn't really get a ton of press. Mm-hmm. That was like cool and good. <laughs> yeah. I think the difference is that you have to be big enough as a studio to have other smaller studios that you own. <laughs> like, cause like a Nintendo just put out uh 3d world with the Bowser's Fury thing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it would be cool to be able to just take a smaller team that you have and be like, throw together a small game that we could like tack on to a, that you went uncharted. Right. Or just release as its own, like a download title or like, you know, just do something that's like, got some triple A quality to it, but that's smaller. Mm -hmm. And like, it would be cool. Like, um, we talked about the, uh, the dark pictures anthology, like those horror games yeah, that super are massive or making. Yeah. That are short, but they look more or less like a triple a game. Like it would, it, but yeah, it would be cool if a studio like naughty dog could have like teams that they could split off to work on stuff like that. Yeah. I wanted to make a joke when you said tacked on about tack and Daxter, <laughs> but then I realized that tack was also a 3d platform. Yeah. Like, wasn't it like a, <laughs> like a 
like a little. And he was like a caveman boy, like a... wasn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of something else. Uh, uh, Blinks the time sweeper. No, it's like a it's like a character that's like a little, like cheetah or something and he's got like a boomerang oh man that might be tack also actually oh yeah i'm not a hundred percent it was like a saber-toothed tiger yeah yeah he had a bone boomerang yep that's the one yeah i think that's a tack thing is it i might be wrong though i thought it was like that was the like mascot of a different platformer <laughs> game but that also could be possible anyway are... <laughs> anyway what we're trying to say is throw uh, fucking Daxter back in time and make Tack and Daxter the <laughs> ultimate crossover game uh, and then also glue it onto the next Uncharted game uh, it says Uncharted featuring Tack and Daxter like demo disc <laughs> Tack and Daxter and Clank yes <laughs> and the Thievius Raccoon is so it's, it's, it's Tack with Clank on his back, mm-hmm. with Daxter on Clank's shoulder. shoulder. <laughs> uh, I think on that note, do we have precursor thoughts? That's what I was hoping you would go with. <laughs> I do not disappoint. Uh, I often most disappoint. Of the time. <laughs> uh, so, as I said earlier, I, I missed this one. Uh, first time around i did not play this as a kid uh but it was a game that i'd wanted to come back to i um i'm a big platformer fan and i liked ratchet and clank and sly cooper a lot so i, I had to complete the trifecta of the ps2 mascot platformer <laughs> uh and coming back to this in a lot of ways um i liked what this offered um it was like a more streamlined more kind of pure experience um where it doesn't have as much emphasis on story i think i said this at the end of the first half like it's really easy to pick up and play it's quick it's brisk it's easy to play through um as i said it's i was just playing through it normally and got like 95 percent completion on it Mm -hmm. uh without even trying so i i really value that now as an adult, um, where it, when this was made, it feels like the industry was kind of moving away from that sort of thing at the time. So in, in ways I'm kind of glad that I came to this now because I was able to like appreciate that about it. But in other ways, like it did feel kind of dated and kind of lacking in certain ways. Um, as I said, like the story, which is like a, felt like a non element. Mm -hmm. Um, and from what I understand, the sequels went in weird directions. And I think that's kind of a shame um, because I I like the structure of this. Um, I've never played Banjo-Tooie, but from what I know about it, it is structured kind of similarly to this where like the levels are connected together. Mm -hmm. And I really like that idea. And I feel like no one's ever really nailed it. Like it, like I feel like it's got a lot of potential. Uh, So there's any like, Gears for Breakfast or Playtonic uh, indie studios that are making 3D platformers. I'd like to see someone give this idea another shot because I think there's something there. Uh, so, yeah, this is a good one to revisit. I enjoyed it, but it didn't, like, blow me away or anything. Uh, but I am glad that I've played it. And 
it's probably one that like several years down the road i'll get like an itch to revisit because it is so quick to pick up and play and then you'll play jack too (laughs) probably not and i thought i disliked jack's design in the first game he looks even he looks progressively dumber in each game (laughs) because as i was looking at screenshots so you're not wrong yeah so i guess i'll just end it there Mm. um i'm not generally speaking the kind of person who replays games uh or rewatches things uh i make exceptions for movies because they're usually like a pretty short investment and like my absolute favorite games i will play multiple times but for the most part i it's rare for me to go back to something and so i really appreciate when the podcast allows me to break that rule in a way that i can replay jack and daxter from 2001 and somehow make it feel like productive behavior Mm -hmm. uh when we decided on doing this game i played the game in two days consecutively just like went from the beginning to the last hub in one day and then finished it on the following day uh and i was shocked at one how much that i remembered of the game and to how much the game doesn't it isn't a modern masterpiece in the way that like my child brain envisioned it uh-huh like we said a lot of good things about this game and i think all of that is true i think that this game especially for its time looked really good and genuinely feels pretty good to play once you get the hang of it um and it had a lot of sort of maybe not innovative but definitely like well executed on ideas um but i think in the end the the way that i view this game now is like if you are andy if you're someone (laughs) like him who like was alive and playing games during the playstation and playstation 2 era and has a memory of these types of games and haven't played them or haven't played them in years i do like i think this is absolutely a game that you should go back and play like it holds up in the way that you imagine it will uh in that it's gonna tickle all of the 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 nostalgia receptors and still control well enough to like go back and play and be like hell yeah it's this isn't like glover 64 <laughs> yeah uh, the camera was the biggest thing for me mm-hmm yeah, and it's stuff that you have to get used to, and then just some things like the camera that are fundamentally broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like beyond that, I I don't think I think the list of things that somebody who is unfamiliar with three D platformers is too long before you get this one for me to wholeheartedly recommend it. But then on the flip side, it is like zero free dollars uh to own this game on like a downloadable platform now so it's probably not one that would hurt to try either so uh i give it a 7 out of 10 ign.com i give it a totally worth revisiting uh would be my 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 headline on this (laughs) on this episode put it on the box yeah (laughs) thank you for listening to no clip this week what are we talking about next time next time we're going to be talking about dragon age or i should say more specifically i am not going to be talking about dragon age because i haven't played it yeah this is going to be another one where chad sits out 
and it's going to be me, Dan, and Janelle. Is it a game, a fantasy game, where dragons are a focus? Chad won't be there. That's the no clip promise. And we're sticking to it. <laughs> uh, until that time, you can get a hold of us. All of our contact information is on our website at noclippodcast.com. There you can find links to all of our old episodes, including the one on Psychonauts, uh, which we mentioned a couple of times. Uh, and there you can join our Discord, find our Twitter, our email address, if for some reason you want to send us some shit to that. Uh, yeah. have uh, Do a cool front flip and then slam your brain down onto that subscribe button. Do the slide uppercut punch that you only have to do for one precursor orb in the beach level. To, to the, the like, like button. button. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we had social lives because we were so yeah. sh- sexy and in and shape. And attractive. Yeah, we so... were invited to every party. 